saying uh, that we believe in. And uh, what we're going to do tonight is the same. Jaden, why don't, why don't you come up? We have Jaden from UNC. <laughs> a bit about uh, the maxim, you never have to advertise a fire, and what that means. So, you never have to advertise a house fire, or any fire, but here he is. What's up, guys? So, obviously I'm from the UNC kind of fun. I took LTC there, and uh, that was great. I got Dominic and Peter on that. They're amazing. Um, but at the end of the book, there's a list of maxims that we read through. And I was reading through them when I was done with LTC. And uh, one of them actually stood out when I initially started reading. And it was, uh, you don't need to advertise a house fire. And I, I was thinking about that for a while. I was like, okay, cool. I mean, obviously, if there's a house that's on fire. You, can say, you don't need to advertise it. It's, it's there, right? But like more recently, I was thinking about it. And what, like, what is a house? Like, I had an epiphany. Like, we are the house. God is the fire. Like, we don't need to advertise that. We just live it out, and it's there. It's just there. And it lives, and it's bright, and it's brilliant, and it's, we, we are the light. And, uh, but then also, I was Googling, I like seeing the uh, definition of, you know, of words. <laughs> um, so I Googled house, and it said a small gathering of people. And I was like, that was kind of cool. So I, I thought that was a little... Uh, uh, Envisioning in the Greeley, the our UNC Chi Alpha, we have like we're a house and we're being the fire of like Greeley right now. Come on, yeah. Yeah. You can see it. You can know about it already. Right. Yeah. So um, I just wanted to share that kind of just that small thought I had, like uh, what we're doing and just a small part of the vision. I think I'm buying into it. Nate um, out, not in the way that he needs help, but 
He's honoring us by letting us take one of the messages in the series, which, for those of you who don't know, um, we've been talking about the 12 disciples and how we're actually a heck of a lot more similar to them than we think, um, just drawing from their life experiences and, and yeah, just kind of gaining, as I'm going to say, some, some nuggets, some wisdom nuggets. <laughs>
like this sin where like I think it's been painted, especially in a lot of Christian circles where it's like, you got some doubts, like you're gonna get excommunicated if you don't like get those together. I don't know why I did that in that accent. It's just like, <laughs> it's just came to me. <laughs> understand moving forward in this that um, I'm not talking about doubt as like, you know, this this horrible sin. It's actually how we react to doubt that defines the thing. Does that make sense? Um, so ideally what, what we would want to see is, so you have a doubt and that's going to lead to seeking, which is going to lead to truth. Uh, that's like the ideal line. But where we can get in trouble and where we get into like a danger zone is when we just sit in it. Or worse, if we bury it and we let it fester in there. Because that causes hurt and that causes bitterness. And then it kind of just like you spiral down into this like thing of selfishness. And then you start thinking logically instead of objectively. And it just like it just keeps going. Um, So that's where doubt becomes a bad thing. Um, And so I want to talk to you guys tonight. Um, <laughs> there's not enough room, I'm sorry. Um, I want to I talk to you guys tonight about um, kind of healthy and unhealthy ways uh, to deal with doubt so that hopefully you can recognize like if there's a way that maybe you're dealing with something that isn't healthy so that you can do it in a better way. And I think that we can all learn something from that. Um, even I can, even though I'm not talking. So... There's a, um, a maxim, like Jaden was talking about, um, a maxim. We have another maxim um, that, <clears throat> excuse me, we use a lot, and it's, like, it's related to doubt. Um, we say, have a critical mind, but not a critical spirit. Yeah. 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 A critical mind, but not a critical spirit. So what, what does that mean? Um, what do those two terms mean? Uh, we're going to kind of flesh that out, and I'm actually going to use Thomas. Um, We're going to look at Thomas because I actually think that he is a prime example of what it looks like to be a regular human and also have a critical mind. So um, to kind of de-villainize our poor doubting Thomas, um, I want to point out a couple things. Um, First of all, so Jesus called him specifically, uh, and he was chosen to be in like an inner circle. Uh, And he had to make the choice. um, He made the choice to leave. Uh, family and friends and his occupation to follow Jesus, not because he had all the answers, but because he he recognized something in Jesus yeah. that he was like, you know what, like, I haven't seen a lot so far, but like, something in me tells me that if I follow him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach the truth at some point. I'm going to reach reality even though I don't have all the answers right now. Um, yeah, and there's, um, we're not going to read the whole passage, but I'll just sum it up. Um, it's in John eleven sixteen. if you wanted to go look at it later. Um, but Thomas, Thomas had a measure of faith, and he had devotion. Um, there, there's a point where Jesus wanted to go to this one region, and the disciples were at Jesus, like, there are literally people there who want to kill you, we can't go there. Um, and but Jesus had made up his mind, and Thomas was, was actually the one who spoke up, and he was like, guys, like, you know what, like, Let's, let's go there with him so that we can die with him. Like, you know, he still doesn't have all the answers, but he's seen enough of Jesus to be devoted to him. 
Does that make sense? Um, so uh, another thing, a little bit closer to critical mind, is that he was inquisitive. Um, we are going to read this passage, so turn to John 14. We're starting in verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me also. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, so that you will also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No Come on. one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Um, so we see here, like, this is actually a really noble thing. Like, Thomas speaks up when he doesn't understand. Um, and something that I want to point out with that is that if Thomas hadn't spoken up here, then we may not have this, like, this thing that is like such a fundamental and clear statement of Jesus's nature and character and reality. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, Jesus probably would have figured out another way to communicate it, but it was written down here because Thomas was willing to step out when he didn't know something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Thomas. Thomas is definitely a good example of a critical mind. Um, but I, I want to give you guys like some some clear cut definitions of what you can look for in yourself and others with what a critical mind looks like. So um, the first thing is that a critical mind is genuine. It genuinely wants to know the truth and it's gonna be objective. So it's like here's all like here's all my experiences and like here is all um, like here's all the evidence that I've compiled and what what does it point to? Like what reality does it point to? That's where I'm going, no matter what that is. Um, and the critical mind I think also just understands logically that it's not just an intellectual exercise to find truth or to find reality. Um, to throw out a slightly nerdy quote, um, with great power comes great responsibility. Like, so like with, with the knowledge that, that we're given, um, responsibility also comes with that. And so it's, it's a search for reality, and then you're therefore responsible to make the choice to live by that reality or not. Um, your search is gonna lead you to that point if you have a critical mind. Um, the second thing about a critical mind is that like Thomas, it was in it's inquisitive. Um, a person with a critical mind will seek wisdom and they're not just gonna make rash decisions or blindly follow something, which I think we can all agree is pretty smart. You know, like, and I think that when you have a critical mind, it can create a faith where the evidence that you see is like a strengthening factor. It's it's not the foundation because like Hebrews 11.1 1 makes it clear like um, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we don't see. But I think it can be like such a supplement and a bolstering when you can take evidence and look at it with a critical mind and be like, yeah, that matches up with what I believe. So um, thirdly and finally on critical mind, it's characterized by humility. Um, somebody with a critical mind is gonna be somebody who's super teachable. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're not gonna think that they have it all figured out or that they know everything and they're gonna be willing to change their, their like, beliefs or practices or theology based on what they find to be true. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, 
Switching gears now, we're going to look at what is a critical spirit. Because um, it's kind of like a dichotomy, like a critical spirit is really kind of the antithesis of what a critical mind is. So um, kind of keeping it in the same realm, same time period, we're going to look at the religious leaders of Thomas's day and of Jesus. So if you go to Mark 3, 1 through 6, um, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Um, pause right there. For those of you who don't know, the Sabbath was a God-ordained day of rest for the Jewish people, um, but the religious leaders had kind of taken it and make it made it like a super legalistic thing. So like, if I like carried my phone on the Sabbath, they'd be like, you, you know. Um, <laughs> but I'm serious, like they, they turned it into something not legalistic, even though it was just supposed to be a refreshing thing for the people. Um, so they were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. <coughs> he stretched out his hand, and it was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That's like a wacky reaction. <laughs> you know, like, like seriously, like Jesus changes this man's life, and their first reaction is, we gotta kill this guy. Like, that is sad. Yeah. <clears throat> their hearts and their minds were so caught up in, in being in the limelight, and like themselves having the glory at everybody else's expense, like they, you know, that's a critical spirit. Like they were completely, um, they completely disregarded the truth and and the miracles and the healing that Jesus was presenting because um, they had taken God and made Him a means to their end instead of making everything in their life a means to the end of knowing God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. So. Um, as far as definitions go. So the critical spirit, um, a person with a critical spirit will think that they know everything. Um, you can't tell them otherwise, and the only reason that they would really listen to an opposing view would be to form an argument against that view. So it's it's not open, um, and there's more of an agenda behind it than actually just like purely seeking the truth. Um, a critical spirit, secondly, um, like I said, doesn't seek to learn truth, but to puff itself up. So like we saw with the religious leaders, it has everything to do with selfishness and pride, if we're being really real. Um, and then thirdly, um, a critical spirit is out to judge or mock the opposing view. Um, and I think that a lot of the times, I don't know, like we can see this, you know, we can see this on campus with how people react to different things. Um, and I think that a lot of the time it can turn into blind loyalty um, because of some sort of frustration or, or bitterness or, or hurt or something um, that's happened. And you can see that with uh, the religious leaders and the way that they reacted because they felt like something was being, um, like their toes were being stepped on basically. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a picture of what the difference is between um, a critical mind and a critical spirit and 
to wrap up my part of the talk, I just wanted to um, talk about God's reaction to both of those things. Um, so, yeah, you saw Jesus' reaction to the religious leaders. He, he was angry and just stressed because their hearts were, were so hard and um, really, like, deeply broken, but, like, not accepting of anything that would help them. So, a critical spirit basically shuts everything down. Um, you're saying, like, no, God, I don't want communication or help from you um, if you have a critical spirit. Um, critical mind, we see the way that Jesus, or, yeah, that Jesus reacted to Thomas. He literally gave him what his heart was crying out for every single time. Every single time Thomas asks a question, Jesus shows up. And it's a deep and profound answer. It's not just, like, something flippant, you know? Good. And so, um, I want you guys to know God's heart toward you when you have a pure heart and when you have a critical mind. Um, and so I'm just going to read a couple verses real quick um, to give you just a snapshot of the way that God feels about you um, as you're wrestling through questions. Psalm 145, 8 through 9 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he's made. Psalm 34, 18 the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 18:28. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. God wants to reveal himself to yeah. you. Yeah. Um, he wants right. to give you the answers. He wants you to seek him. He, you know, he, it's a relationship. He wants to be pursued um, genuinely. And when that happens, like, there's no way that he's not going to give you the answers that you're seeking. And the thing is, like, it doesn't matter where you are because he meets you where you are. We see that with Thomas. Like, the story that we read, Thomas is grieving and broken and frustrated. Um, and he's like, he, you know, he doesn't know that Jesus is alive at this point. And he's like, man, like, I feel like I've lost everything. Jesus meets him there. Um, I think that it would be a mistake to look at that story and just be like, man, doubting Thomas, like, you and your dang unbelief, you know, like, um, I think that a deeper thing that we can pull out of Thomas's experience is that, like, Jesus met him where he was at, and he gave him the strength and courage to continue, like, Thomas brought the gospel to, like, a huge part of Asia, um, and, yeah, Jesus also reminded him, like, because there still is the challenge there, um, Jesus reminded Thomas, like, hey, like, I'm here, and I'm giving you what you need, but you need to know that even when I'm not standing right in front of you and you can't put your hands in in mine, that my promises are still going to be true. Like, you can bank on that, um, and that's something I think that we should be reminded of tonight as well. Um, so if you, like Thomas, need an encounter with Jesus' presence, um, just press in. He's not gonna. He's not gonna not honor that. Um, just be, be raw and vulnerable and honest before people and before God, um, the same way Thomas was. And like, the Lord is not gonna be silent to that if your heart is genuine um, and if you have a critical mind versus a critical spirit. So um, now Dylan's actually gonna come give you guys um, just some more, some more practicals about when you're, you know, wrestling through things like doubts or seeking answers.
Awesome. How you guys doing? Woo! Y'all need to like get up and shake out a little bit first. Not it. You guys good to just chill and sit there? No one wants to get up and jump up and down. Okay. So give us some goals. That was my wife. She's awesome. Uh, maybe one day you guys will have a wife as awesome as her. So yeah. Anyway, Kaylee mentioned like how to have. What's the difference between having a critical mind versus a critical spirit? And now that we've kind of established that, and you can see whether you have a critical mind or a critical spirit, what do you do with that? How do you move forward? How do you press into God, as Kaylee said? Um, so I want to go into how do you find Jesus today? Because um, if you're like me, you haven't seen him, and he hasn't asked me to stick my hand in his side. So what does that look like for us? Um, so we're going to read a couple scriptures to start out here. Um, first is John 1.1. 1, 1. Um, it says... In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So in the Christian world, if you haven't heard, we like to refer to Jesus as the Word. Um, and this is one of the main verses that are used for that. Um, another verse would be John 1.14. Um, so just later on in the same chapter of John, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace, full of grace and truth. There was no space on that piece of paper. It was awesome. Um, so, if you from the first verse didn't see kind of like what he's talking about about Jesus being the Word, this should further um, get you into that where he's saying like the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to see that he is talking about Jesus. And if you're still not convinced, if you go to Revelations nineteen thirteen. Um, he says, he is dressed in the robe, dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. So that is also showing you an even deeper meaning that Jesus died for us, and he is the word. Um, so what do we do with that? So Jesus is the word, cool. What does that mean? Um, that God gave us the Bible so we could encounter Jesus. Um, so the Bible is more than just an old book. Um, and I'm not going to try to prove to you tonight that the Bible is um, historically correct or anything like that. I believe it is. And you can research into that. That's part of the critical mind is looking into these things. Um, but what I am going to go into is that to get you to think about how the Bible is different than any other book you could read. Uh, Mark Twain said, it's not the things I don't understand in the Bible that bother me. It's the things I do understand. Um, if you think about that statement, that's kind of a weird statement. Um, but I think what he's saying here is that you're never going to understand everything in the Bible, but you can look deeper into the things that you do understand. And it's like, and apparently the things that he did understand scared him, which if you look into it, some of them should, probably in a good way. But um, the first thing I want to talk about, about the the Bible and why it's so interesting is its survival. Um, the Bible, since it was like created, has been um, people have been trying to destroy it. Um, and a couple examples of that were in the third century, the Roman emperor at the time, who I can't pronounce his name, I'm not going to try. Um, he basically said that he was going to take all the Bibles or even parts of the Bible and burn them. And when he had burned all of them that he could find, he erected a monument. 
out of the ashes of the Bibles and said, extinct is the name of the Christians, um, which obviously isn't true because we're all sitting in this room. Um, another example is, uh, my wife had to correct me on this because it's French and she minored in French, but Voltaire um, was a famous French atheist, um, and he predicted within 100 years that the Bible would be an irrelevant book. Um, and the ironic thing is 100 years from him making that statement, the Geneva Bible Society was meeting in his home. Uh, and my last example, these are just three examples. You can look up more, but these were three that I thought were fun. Robert Ingersoll once held a Bible in his hand. This is an American. And in front of his audience, he said, I will have this book in the morgue in 15 years. Um, and 15 years from then, he was actually in the morgue. Um, he was dead, and the Bible is still with us. So, you have to see that all these people have tried to kill the Bible, and you see that there's this almost like, it seems like a supernatural protection over it, which God in the Bible, if you look into it, promises to protect it. Um, and secondly, an interesting thing about the Bible is its structure. If you took 40 people, or around 40 people, from about 1,500 years apart from each other, like throughout this time span, and had them write on philosophy, science, ethics, morality, had them make predictions about the future, and then you put it all into one book, you'd end up with a whole bunch of garbage. And yet, that is exactly how the Bible was made, and it all makes sense, which is supernatural. Think about that. Um, so another thing um, that's interesting about the Bible is its scientific accuracy. And this whole series that we're doing is based on Winky Pratney's Youth of Flame, which is a great book. Uh, and in that book, he says, true science and scripture will, never, will always agree they both have the same author. Um, Come on. Think about that. Science and scripture have the same author. Therefore, they will always agree. Um, and an example of that, just one example, is about 300 years ago, science proved that there is physical life in your blood. That's where your life resides, is in your blood. But if you read Leviticus, which was written 3,500 years ago, it says that in, in uh, chapter 17, verse 11. Um, and the Bible also um, mentions different topics such as astrology, meteorology, geology, aeronautics, atomic energy, and radiation effects, um, which a lot of those are even from the Old Testament, so which makes it even more improbable that they would know these things, and yet they wrote about them. Um, another thing to think about when you think about why the Bible is different than any other book is its span of time and prophecy. There are over 3,800 uh, verses in the Bible on prophecy. And if you look at that, that's about one in six verses in the Bible is about prophecy. Um, and so if you took, you know, the Bible's a thick book. And if you took a sixth of that, and that's all prophecy, um, and none of those have been false. Some have yet to happen. Um, but it has predicted things such as the fall of Tyre, um, the invasion of Jerusalem, the fall of uh, Babylon and Rome, um, as well as over 300 prophecies about their coming Messiah that were all fulfilled in Jesus. Come on. Come on. Um, and then lastly, as far as the um, uniqueness of the Bible is its social influence. Um, 
there has never been anything like the Bible um, as far as the laws of human relationship that has been equaled or surpassed. Um, and Winky Prattney says this really well, and I'm going to quote him here. To all people and nations, the Bible has universal appeal. All people see in its simple illustrations and stories the message of God. Thinkers, dreamers, men and women of vision and of toil alike find the Bible meets every need. It is the only book that a child and scholar may find equal delight in. Its simple, self-related principles can work in any country, transcending barriers of diverse culture and difference to bring a universal unity of peace, transforming the rebel and the rotten into a saint and servant of humanity. Wherever the Bible has been read and practiced, there have been heart revolutions of clean, loving communities. Yeah. And so this is to say that the Bible's influence it has on cultures, but not just cultures and groups of people, but on individuals. When you see someone who, like you see it in the Bible and you see it today, of people who encounter God or read the Bible and they just become a whole new person. Yeah. And no, no other book can say that that's happened. So now that you've seen that the Bible is more than just an interesting book, what do we do with that? Um, so we need to learn to read from our life manual that God has given us. Um, this is my last Winky quote. Winky Pratney's awesome. You guys should read him. He has lots of good quotes. Um, if you're from UNC, you have Winky Wallace, and he's almost as cool. Uh, but... Uh, you're just as cool, I love you. But, um, so Winky says here, if you are not faithful to the truth of the Bible, how faithful really are you to the author and Lord Jesus Christ? Come on. So if you are not faithful to the Bible, how faithful are you to Jesus? That's a very hard-hitting um, thing to think about, but it's true. So what attention are you giving the Bible? There's different ways of reading your Bible. That's your first step, is simply to read it. Um, and there, people will say you need to read it in the morning, you need to read it in the evening, you need to read this many um, chapters a day. I really think that it's whatever works for you. I think it's different for different people. Um, I would say give God your best time. If your best time is in the morning, do it in the morning. If your best time is in the evening, do it in the evening. Um, if, uh, okay, if, uh, <laughs> if you can read 10 chapters and comprehend what it's saying, go for it. If you can only read one chapter and really understand what's going on, read one chapter. Um, there's not a set thing you need to do. Just do it and figure out <coughs> what um, works best for you to get the most out of it. Secondly, you should research. Don't just read the Bible um, and try to get through it and check it off your list for the day, but look into it. Look into what the original Hebrew or the original Greek said. Look into archaeology behind um, those things or into the cultural context to help you um, look into it. And there's also commentaries. Be careful with commentaries. I have commentaries and I love them, um, but remember that they are a lot of opinion and it's fine to look at people's opinion on things, but don't take it for fact. The only thing to take that way is the Bible. Yeah. Um, 
something I love. I didn't ask if I could do this, but I'm going to call out my buddy Adam, who's uh, yeah. in my small group. I think he's amazing at this. Uh, and I'm probably embarrassing him. Um, but uh, he loves to read his Bible and he loves to research it. And he texts me questions that he has about it. And I don't claim to know everything, but I tell him what I think about it. But he doesn't just take what I say and move on with his life. He asks his roommate and fellow small group member, Zach, what he thinks about it. And he looks it up online. And he researches and looks up what different people think about it um, to formulate what he thinks about it, um, which is amazing. Um, so I love you. Uh, so meditate is the third step. So um, once again, don't just power read through your scripture. Um, really chew on it. Um, like when you read it, sit down and think about what does it mean? Something that really helped me with this, because I like to power through things, is to read a chapter and then go back and read it again. But I'd read it verse for verse. And after every verse, I'd write down in my own words what that verse was saying. Um, and it really helped me to figure out a deeper sense of what that scripture was saying. Um, and lastly, uh, memorize scripture. We see Jesus, um, when he's being tempted in the wilderness, the devil is quoting scripture to him, and he's quoting different scripture back to him, saying, no, this is what God says. These are God's promises. We need to know God's promises. We need to write them on our hearts. So right. when these times of doubt come, yeah. We know what God's promises are, and we can kick the doubts to the curb. Um, so, uh, lastly, um, I want to say that you need to pray. Um, this is not strictly an intellectual exercise. Um, reading scripture cannot fully be comprehended in your mind. You need God to help you. Um, and worship team, you can come back up um, as I close here. Um, so, 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 14 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of... <laughs> Lost my spot. Anyway, I'll skip to verse 14. The person within the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are uh, discerned only through the Spirit. So we need God's Holy Spirit to show us what the Scriptures say. Uh, over winter break, I read a book that you should all read. Um, it's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's an amazing yeah. book. Um, and in it, Nabil Qureshi, the author, he is a devout Muslim, and he has a friend who's a Christian, and they're in college together. And um, They're asking all these questions and seeing what the differences are, and his Christian friend's trying to help him to see that Christianity is true. And he's like, if you can answer this, this, and this, I will say Christianity is true. And his friend basically proved those things to him, um, and he still wouldn't do it. And what he found out was that he needed God to speak to him. Um, and so that's what we all need. Whether we're a Christian or not in this room tonight, um, we need God to speak to us and reveal these things to us. Um, so as I close, I want to challenge you guys just where you're at right now to take a moment. Um, I'll have Duncan strum something in the background. 
but um, I want you to talk to the Lord right now um, about how you're honoring his word. And I want you to commit to him to increase whatever you're doing. Um, whether you have an amazing devotion life already or not, God is still worthy of more. Um, and so just where you're sitting, just have a moment and say, whether that's for you, like I'm going to start reading my Bible again, or whether it's I'm going to pray more. I want to pray every day. I want to pray for an hour a day or whatever it is for you, whatever it looks like to increase it. I want you to commit that to God and um, keep to it. And then I'll pray and close this in just a moment. So just take a moment.
transform our minds. You renew our minds. Um, God, thank you for that. Um, I thank you for this body of believers, these brothers and sisters, God, that um, that we would just be so sent by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would um, just draw so close to you, Lord, in, in, the, in the hard times and in the good times, God, that we would celebrate with you and that we would um, we would just feel the sweet.